You belong here. Some people don't believe that they belong anywhere. And I know that's a song about adoption. It's, it's got his little adopted daughter in the video, and there's a story and, and all that behind the song. But when I heard that song this week, it just made me think, even as grown-ups, we sometimes feel like orphans, alone, and scared, and afraid. Everyone wants to love, and everyone wants to be loved. We find ourselves in our series of Who Am I in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. It says, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were excluded. You were foreigners without hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Amen? Isn't that powerful? If you believe in the word of God, it is amazing. If you believe in the word of God, you seek after the word of God and it changes you. And when you feel like you're far away, and you're asking yourself, who am I? We can say, I am near. Have you ever felt distant from God? Away from God and wondered, is there even any hope for me? There is hope. I am near. There was a young man that cowered in his jail cell. Covered in dirt, roach infested, death row cell in South Carolina prison. True story. His body was curled up in the fetal position. He was oblivious to the filth and to the stench that was around him. He just didn't care. His name was Rusty. He was sentenced to die for the murder of a Myrtle Beach woman. And police arrested 23-year-old Rusty Wellborn in 1979 following one of the most brutal murders that South Carolina has ever seen. Rusty went and was tried for murder and he received the death penalty. And Bob McAllister, he was the deputy chief of staff, and he became acquainted with Rusty. And just a year before, had received Christ into his life and had a new approach and a new vision and a new purpose and a call by God to go after these people that were incarcerated, specifically those that are seeking death row. So Bob had walked into Rusty's cell for the first time to see a pitiful sight. Rusty was lying on the floor. It was a pathetic picture of a man that thought that he was not loved, that nobody cared about him. The only signs of life in his cell were the cockroaches that would scurry when you entered the room. They would even run over his body, but he didn't even care. He was oblivious to the things that were around him. During his visit, Bob tried and tried and tried, visit after visit, to reach out to him with the love of Christ. That even in death row, I can offer you new life in Christ. But he constantly just looked at him with a straight face. 
He talked and he prayed continuously. And one day, finally, Rusty began to communicate with him a little bit, began to respond. And little by little, he started to open up until one day, as Bob was in there talking to Rusty, he broke down. Rusty broke down crying, and that was the day that a pitiful murderer in the darkness that was in his past and even the death that was ahead of him, he finally surrendered his life to Christ. When Bob came back a couple days later, he saw a completely different man. He was clean. His cell was clean. He had new purpose and new joy. Even though life for him was coming to a close, he had new purpose and new life inside of him. He continued to visit him, and he studied the Bible with him. He taught him for the couple of years that he still had. The two men became very close friends. In fact, McAllister actually called him the son that he never had, and and. Rusty started to call him Pop, Pap, Father, Dad, something that he missed. And, and Bob learned of Rusty's childhood. As ugly as it was, the dysfunction, his family was destitute, Rusty was neglected and abused as a child. In school, it was overwhelming, not just for his teachers, but even for him. And so by the time he was in ninth grade, he actually quit school out of Shame, frustration, and a lack of any guidance in his life. He just walked away, and that was the beginning of the end. Bob continued now to teach Rusty the Bible. And he was learning right along with him. As he taught him the Bible, he was being taught forgiveness. Because in time, Rusty was extremely bothered by the devastation that he brought to the family in whom he wronged. And he, he received this forgiveness from God, and he so desperately wanted the forgiveness of the family until something significant happened. The brother of the woman who he killed also got saved. And he spent two years battling, and God speaking to him, saying, you need to go and face the man that did this to your sister. Not long before his scheduled execution, this brother and his wife came to visit Rusty, and Bob was present when they met, tearfully embracing like long-lost brothers. Rusty's senseless crime 10 years earlier had constructed an enormous barrier between himself and the brother, but the love of Christ obliterated that barrier, broke down the walls, so that they could embrace. Not only did Rusty teach Bob about how to love and forgive, he also taught him how to die. The day finally approached, and Rusty had a calm assurance that Bob had never even seen before. The appointed day came, and Rusty said to Bob, in my final hours, will you just read to me the Bible? And so Bob began to just read and Rusty lay there in his cot. And an hour went by, and, and, and Rusty just sat up in, in his cot, and he said, you know, the only thing that I ever wanted was a home, Pap. And now I finally get to go home. Bob tearfully continued reading, and after a few minutes, Rusty grew very still. Thinking that he had fallen asleep, Bob placed a blanket over top of him and he closed the Bible and he was ready to, to walk out of the cell when he 
he felt just a strong feeling that he should go over and, and actually kiss him on the cheek, and which he did. And as he turned to leave, he gives him this kiss. He walks out the cell, and it is time. They come and get Rusty. And there's a woman that's assisting Rusty in his final moments of life, and she shares her story. As he was being prepared for death, Rusty looked up at her and he said, what a shame that a man has got to wait till his last night alive to be kissed and tucked in for the very first time. Do you know how many people that have even walked into this room today are on a quest, searching for the love that they've never had? You know that even when you've grown up with an understanding of this person loves me, these people, my parents, love me. Some people don't have that privilege. And that's what, that's what Bob learned all the way through, is what a blessing I had in having a family that cared for me. We don't all have those blessings. We all want nearness. We all want to be close. But we do a really good job of, of running the other direction, don't we? Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you have been made near through the blood of Christ. This is the truth. Without, you, you know this about a child. A baby cannot survive without that closeness. We recognize that. A child of God cannot survive without that nearness to God either. We try to walk through life without that, but the reality is we are so afraid it takes us down a different path. Skin-to-skin contact for an infant actually helps develop their growth. They, They develop and they grow because of that, but that also helps them identify who they are. Think about this. 60% of marriages end in divorce. And the kids involved in those marriages that end in divorce are searching, longing, wondering, who am I? Not only that, but 43% of children are growing up in a fatherless home. And 90% of those that get incarcerated come from a fatherless home. Do you see the trends? Do you see the problems that are going on? And we, the people of God, the people that say that we claim and we say that this is the power that I have, that Jesus in me, and there's people right around us that are struggling. There are people that have walked into this building this week saying, I don't know which way to turn. Time Magazine has written the power about the power of healing touch. And they received the most emails about that article than any other article in history. And it's no surprise because people are starving for it. And at the same time, in our public school systems and in our city offices, we actually push away from that. But it's the very thing that people need. Rusty made poor choices, no doubt. And it cost him his life. But it came in response to him starving, starving for the attention that he never got. There was a time for you as well that you were far away, that you didn't know, that you didn't understand. And even in your walk with God, there are times of dryness that you need a new 
life experience. You need to claim these words, I am near. Can you say that with me? I am near. Because I am in Christ and because I am empowered, because I am alive. And all of those things mean that I am so incredibly blessed. This series is about understanding who we are. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ that changes who we are. There was a time when there were barriers And there are times even now that we set up and we build these walls, these barriers that block us away from the blessing of God. But the reality is Jesus obliterates that barrier. He tears down the wall by saving us and making us alive. By nature, we like to run away. Isn't that true? It's so much easier to run away than it is to run to Genesis, we go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. It says this, verse 3, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord, Adam and Eve, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know the story about Adam and Eve. You understand that they were walking with God. They had fellowship with God. They had the greatest of joy because they were close in their relationship with God. But there came a time when they made a decision. God told Adam and Eve, the second that you eat of that fruit, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And they didn't physically die. It wasn't a physical death. They didn't kill over dead right there. It was a spiritual death that they died. In the Bible, the word for death is separation. We all understand separation. Because every time there's a barrier, every time there's a poor decision, every time we do something wrong, it's a barrier. It is something that stops us from going the direction that God desires. And why do we allow these barriers? Before the day they disobeyed, Adam and Eve were walking in fellowship and in joy have you been there? Like, oh, it feels so good. God is so amazing. I'm, I'm so blessed. Genesis 2.25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Quite a big contrast to after they sinned. They ate the fruit and they began to run from God. Verse 3.10 says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. When someone hides from their creator, they are running. They are facing the consequences of death, a spiritual death. If you long to experience the peace of God, we need to stop running away. And you think running only looks a certain way. It's not always a fast pace. It's not always a quick decision. It is the small things in life that make you step away a little bit at a time and step away a little bit more and step away. And before you know it, you find yourself incarcerated for the rest of your life facing the death penalty because of simple, poor decisions. We lose our confidence in who we are when we don't have Christ in us. If you are filled with Christ, you have no question, no question who you are and where you're going with your life. You have a purpose to live for. 
Bob McAllister walked into that prison a different person after God changed him. He looked at the men in those prison cells as different people than he ever saw before. Every single police show that you can get to, every interrogation, every detective, they're all interested in making you into the guilty party. Long are the, are the, the realities of innocent until proven guilty. They come in and try to rip you apart, but God looks at you and says, hey, you're guilty, but I don't even care. I am here to take you on a journey to come out of your sickness, to break down that wall that is separating you from me. We live in an age of self-esteem. Criminals do bad things because they don't understand who they are. But it's not just criminals, not just people that are on death row, it's not just the people that are getting arrested. It is every person in this room struggling to understand who they are. And so there are books upon book, upon book, upon book at the library, at the bookstore on self-esteem. They're rolling off the press because everyone wants to understand who they are. We have the Be Nice campaigns in the schools and it's great because kids should certainly be nice. And we have people bringing wells to impoverished nations like in Africa, bringing water. But the reality is all of those things, every program, every effort that we put into it without Christ is absolutely pointless. We can say, yes, we're saving somebody's life because we're bringing them water or we're helping this kid out by having this be nice pro program in our schools. It's fantastic, but without Jesus, they will never know who they are. And we've had Mr. Rogers through the years. I remember those shows, you know, he's coming in and he flips off his shoes and he puts on his slippers and he takes off his jacket and he puts on his, his awesome sweater. Mr. Rogers is saying, you are so very special. And then you have this, this bouncing around Barney character coming out and he's saying, oh, you're so lovable. I love you. You love me. We have all these characters through the years, and, and, and the, this is the result. So much of that, and we had a generation of young people that grew up thinking that they didn't have to perform, they didn't have to put any effort into passing in school or getting a scholarship so that they make it to college and pay for college or to graduate from college. They just think, well, I'm, it's okay. I'm, look at how the pendulum has swung. We go from... No love and devastation to so much love that they actually think that they can make it without putting any effort into it. we got to find the common denominator. The Bible is always that. It's a constant. So the second that you step away from that constant truth, that's when devastation comes. The Bible looks at the human condition very differently you will find that the Son of God came to earth and took on humanity, not because we are so lovable and wonderful. He came because we are so wicked. And it doesn't sound very encouraging that I stand up here and say, you are wicked. That doesn't come off very well. But the reality is it is encouraging in this. It is not just one individual that he's pointing out and saying, it's you. Saying every single person. And so when somebody walks into this room today, when, when people walk into this church throughout the week and say, I have gone too far, it's not the truth. 
You can't go too far from God. If there is any reason to feel good about yourself is because of what Jesus has done to change you, to restore your nearness. But we need, we need to stop running. The greatest devastation in life comes through our, through our judgment. And it's not even our judgment of others. It is our judgment of against ourselves. I read another church sign this week. You know, they have the scrolling signs and they, they change out and they always have these goofy phrases on there. Well, this week, I drove by this, this church and, and it said, Jesus can tell you everything you've ever done. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> like, that's true. It is true. But my goodness, I don't think I want to step foot in there. That's what you're trying to get me to, to come to your church? That is scary. But this is exactly how we operate. We, we think of that as judgmental, but we don't realize how much we actually judge our own selves. We deceive ourselves. We are going down a wicked path because we are lying to ourselves. And as a result, when we hear him in the garden walking we used to have fellowship. We used to walk with them. We used to talk with them. We used to have joy. But now when we hear him, when we sense him, when we, when we feel the presence of God, you know how many times people have had to, to get up and, and move around because they're not used to the presence of God? You know what it is? We're not used to that nearness. So when God comes into the room, we get, a, we get scared. We get afraid. God says, I am here so that we can say, I am near. Who am I? I am near. Although we were far away, Ephesians 2.13, though we were far away, though we had this past, though we have all these things that happened in the past that separated us, we are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the blood of Jesus, that in his glory and his goodness and his faithfulness to us, he changes our story, takes us a different direction. I want you to, to hear Ephesians 2 in the Message Bible version. It says this, don't take any of this for granted. Remember, he's saying, remember, don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's way had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about God's works, hadn't the faintest idea about Christ. You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying the death, shedding the blood, you who once were out of it completely are now made new. Can you picture a man that spent his entire life seeking his own glory, living for himself, finds himself on death row in filth and stench, not even caring about his own life to that point. And Jesus enters the picture and into his life and even on death row can find joy. If you go through the the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter 2, you find sin, of course, separates. We were dead, 
We were doing our own thing. We were going our own way. Sin separates. But God in his graciousness saves us and raises us and pulls us out of that garbage and brings us new life. Though you were filthy, Christ made you clean. Though you are filthy even now, Christ has made you clean. We may be, we might be the worst player on the football team, but the reality is we still get to put on the jersey and stand on the sidelines and be part of the team. That is your standing with God. Not because of what we are or who we are, but because of who we are in Christ. Before you were separated, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God, but in Christ we have joy. We find throughout scripture that there are only two classes of people. You are either dead or you're alive. You're either in Christ or you're in the world. You're either saved or you are lost. You're one or the other. Which direction will you go? In our old life, we were lost, we were condemned, we were under the judgment of God. And it's unfortunate that that's where we stop. We think, oh, I've done too many things. I've heard it so many times. So many times I've done too much. I'm too far gone. I've shared the story about Charlie so many times. And Charlie still to this day, probably in his 80s, I run into him at the, at the mall sometimes. I worked with him when I was in college at the golf course. He knew the Bible better than I did then, and he probably still does today, but he just won't accept it because he thinks I've done too many bad things. So I'd say to him, you don't understand the Bible like you think you do. When we started having services in the theater, I saw him on occasion and still tried to sit down and talk to him, and he's more stubborn than ever before. How in the world do we distance ourselves so far? There's nothing worse than life without a Lord to pray to, without a Savior to help you, to save you, without a God who you can call upon. We all want to belong. I know Pastor Gary wants so desperately put that right on the side of our building. You belong here. Because we go through life. We go through life. So many people are going through life even within our church. Trying to figure out who in the world am I? Why am I here? You come to the end of yourself only when you realize that nothing else in all of the world will ever satisfy Nothing else can take the place of Jesus Christ. You can seek to, to be the wealthiest person in the world. It won't satisfy. Success, fame, fortune, all of it. Nothing will satisfy you. 1 Corinthians 13. I wanted to go there because I wanted to share with you something that I got my first trip to Vietnam. I bought this, this gong. Pretty exciting, huh? When I travel, when I go on mission trips throughout my life, I've been on many of them, and I always get a musical instrument from every country. 
This is my musical instrument from Vietnam. So we're going to use it in the worship service next week, I think. Pretty sharp, though. It actually is a real legitimate gong. And this is the story. This is the reality. They have these Chinese words, even in Vietnam, because that's kind of where it all originated and where the gong is is predominantly used for various worship things. But the guy was saying, you know, I can design it however you want. So I said, well, I'll put a red border on it, put a white stripe up, and then, you know, I don't know what that middle thing is. But just said, just paint it funky, you know. And then, well, what do you want written on it? So the guy was trying to ask me what I wanted. And, and he gave me a list of things. Like, do you want luck? Do you want success? Do you want family? Do you want wealth? All these different words that they lay out there. And I just looked at him and said, Jesus. And he said, Jesus? And so I, I said, it was at the time, actually, we were doing a, a, a Christmas or I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Christmas because the title of the series that we were doing at the time was called Hope Has Come. And so I had him write, Hope Has Come. And I don't know why there's four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could say, you're an idiot. <laughs> Laugh out loud, you know. I have no idea what it really says. <laughs> But, but the reality is, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I wanted to, before we keep reading that, I want to replace the word love with Jesus. Because we know what love is only because we know who Jesus is. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong. Sorry, I didn't replace the word. <laughs> if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I do not have Jesus, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have Jesus, I am nothing. How many of you want to be more than this gong? Because it's not going to last. It's not going to give you any sense of joy or purpose whatsoever to live any other way than to put Jesus first and foremost in your life. And when you experience that, it changes you into something different. Hope has come. His name is Jesus. Remember, he says, remember this is where you were. This is what you look like in the filth, in the stench of that nasty, dirty cell. But he doesn't say remember so that you wallow in your past or you recognize, you know, think that you're stuck back there. But instead, you understand that the blood of the lamb is your covering. The blood of the lamb is your change takes you somewhere. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care how far gone you think you are. It doesn't matter. I don't care. God doesn't care. He just says, I'll be your change. In Hebrews 4, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help us in our time of need. You say, I'm too far gone. I've gone too far away. There's no way that I could change anything. And Jesus is saying, approach with confidence. It's okay. Remember, you were aliens. You were strangers. You were distant. But approach with confidence. You don't have to stay there. It's the truth. As far as the east is from the west. You know that phrase? You know the song? Certainly you know the song. As far as the east is from the west, this is the reality. I know you probably know the verse, but I'm going to flip it around here for a second because the other reality, the truth before Christ, is we are so far removed and separated from God because of our sin that we are as far from God as the east is from the west. And why east and west compared to north and south? Think about this. If I get in a plane and I fly straight north, there is a point on this planet that I will eventually be going south. Our, our sin, as the Bible says, is not as far as the north is from the south. It is as far as the east is from the west. If I jump in a plane and I start flying east, I'm only going to go east. And I will go around the world and around the world, and I will never be going west. And how glorious, how glorious it is that, first of all, we were as far as the east is from the west, that far away from God. But because of what God has done for us, we can claim Psalm 103 and say, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he has removed my sin from me. I don't need to be condemned by it anymore. I don't need to allow it to shape my life. I can say, I am near. Can you say that with me? I am near. Are you far away? Jesus says, come to me. Maybe you're just like Rusty and you have no sense or understanding or feeling of love in your life. Jesus says, come to me. Maybe you've screwed up so much that you deserve death row. Jesus says, come to me. You may not understand or know who this Jesus is, but Jesus is still calling out, come to me. You may be sick of going through the motions or stuck remembering the past and how it's affecting even now your future. Jesus says, come to me and you should come thirsty because he's going to fill you up. Amen? Have you ever opened up the Bible and actually like felt filled up? Like something's happening inside of me. I don't even know what to do with myself. Come thirsty. Matthew 11, it says, come to me. Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this verse for a couple of reasons. Who it is being invited, firstly, 
And secondly, who it is doing the inviting. Think about it. Who it is that's doing the inviting? Jesus. Like I remember growing up and getting invited to a birthday party from a kid from school. And I felt like, man, he actually invited me? Like I feel like I belong. Or when I was in seventh grade and we were standing, you know, at a dance. And all the girls were over there. And all the boys were over here. Like awkward. But then the slow dance came. And suddenly the groups began to mingle. And, and I was like, I don't know. I'm too afraid. But then Missy. Missy Camaro. She, she came over and s said, hey, let's dance. I felt like, whoa. I belong. But think about this. We, we feel like we belong in those little instances in life. Little things that people do. But imagine Jesus is doing the inviting. And he's saying, come to me. This is not just Joe Blow out there saying, hey, let's go hang out. Let's go grab a Coke. It is Jesus and who is he inviting? He's inviting you. He wants you to belong. He says, all who are weary, all that are heavy, laden, burdened, heartbroken, lost, alone, frustrated. Everyone that's sick and tired of the filth in their life and they want to change. And when you're in the yoke of hardship and you're going through life and you're trudging along trying to pull that plow and you're just not making it. That's when Isaiah 50 and verse four comes in and says, the sovereign Lord has given me instruction to know the word that sustains the weary. What is the word that sustains the weary? Jesus. The most powerful name that we can speak. And every time that we are taken down, every time that we are frustrated and think that there is no hope for me, we can claim the name of Jesus and he will come into your life and he will start to move. He will start to change you. Our Lord Jesus, having proven himself able to save, is now showing himself as willing to save. He's able, but he is willing. He wants a personal relationship. He's walking across the dance floor and he's saying, let's have this dance. And it's time that we draw near. Let the weary come to Christ and that their yoke would be made easy. Does that mean life is going to be really easy? Oh, as long as I just run to Christ, as long as I just claim the name of Jesus, then my day today is just going to be wonderful. It's not the way quite that it works. He came not to free his church from this hardship in life. He came to jump into the trenches right along with us. Think about a yoke. Maybe you don't know what a yoke is, but in those times they would put an oxen next to another oxen. It was never one oxen that was in the yoke. It was always two. And so this is the reality of what Jesus is saying. Jump in to the trenches Plow forward with what you're doing, but recognize that I'm right next to you. And you're not alone in your struggles and in your hardship. He's saying, I am 
near. Jesus says, come to me and you should come thirsty because he is ready to fill you up. The question is, are you ready to be filled? Are you ready to be the vessel that God should use? Remember that you were separated, you were distant, you were an alien. You had barriers that were up. You had things in the way. But Jesus, by the blood of the lamb, you have been brought near. You know, when we take communion, we don't believe that the blood is, is a cup, is the actual blood of Jesus, nor do we believe that it turns into the blood after you drink it. There are people that believe that. But it does represent the blood of Christ shed on the cross. The blood of Christ, which is the quenching drink that we need, that we've all been searching for, that we're all so desirous of, Everyone understands physical thirst. If you've played in a sport, you understand physical thirst. When I played soccer and we went down to Florida and played two games, I understood physical thirst because it's terribly hot down there. Your body, according to some estimates, is 80% fluid. That means we are walking water balloons. Right? Everybody say with me, I am a water balloon. <laughs> All right, don't remember that one. Just, just scratch that one out. That's, that's not what you need to walk home with. But the reality is, and it's been a long time since I read a Max Lucado book, but I picked one up for a dollar at Goodwill. And so I started to read it, and this is what he said. We are basically a water balloon. But stop drinking water, and you will recognize, you will see what's going to happen. You're your thoughts actually start to waver. Like you can't even think straight. Your skin grows clammy. Your vital organs start to wrinkle. Your eyes need fluid in order to cry. Your mouth needs moisture to swallow. Your glands need sweat to keep your body cool. The cells need blood to carry them. Your joints need fluid to lubricate them. Your body needs those fluids. Your body needs water the same way a tire needs air. Try to drive out of here today with four flat tires. You're not going to get very far. Try to walk out of here today with your spirit thirsty. You're not going to get very far. In the beginning, God, your maker, wired you for thirst. And thirst is a low fluid indicator. It says, ding, 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 ding. Something is wrong. You need to come to the well. You need to get filled up. Let your fluids get low and signals are going to start flaring up. Dehydrated souls send out a loud and clear message. Your temper starts to flare up. You start to worry about things that you never worried about before. You start to feel guilty because, oh, I made this mistake and this mistake and it's caused me these things in my future. You start to fear. You're afraid to even take one step further. Does God want you to live there? No way. In hopelessness and sleepness, sleeplessness, in loneliness with resentment, irritable, insecure. That's not where he wants you to live. Those are all signs of dryness deep within. And Jesus says, come to me. Get hydrated. Come to me. Fill up. Be near. Without that nearness, we are 
every single one of those things. What water, what H2O can do for your body, Jesus can do for your heart. And like water, Jesus can go where we can't go. If you take a person and you throw a person against the wall, there's going to be a smack and a thud, and it's not going to be pretty. I promise you, we've done it in youth group. (laughs) We say, "Uh, can you come pick up your kid? He ran into a wall. It's okay, he he won't remember. This is the truth. The water goes places just like Jesus can go where we can't go. Splash water against the wall and the liquid's going to separate. The way that it's made up makes it very flexible. One moment it's separating and seeping through the cracks of a picnic table after your kid spills his milk all over the place. Another time, it's collecting and thundering over Niagara Falls. There is great power in water. There is great power in Jesus. This is the reality. You have the power of Niagara Falls in you. Washing away all of your filth and, and, and stains and foolishness. You have the power right inside of you, but all you have to do is just say, I'm willing. I'm I'm ready. I submit to you, God. Draw near. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Amen? Say that with me. I am near. It is the truth. It is everything that we need. Jesus is the answer. There are people that walk into this building weekly that are desirous. Do you know how many people walk through our parking lot that are in desperation? I just saw it the other day. In fact, last year, many times, the same teenager lives right behind Tippy Cow over here. And just, just this last summer, we were having youth group, and we met outside for our, for our discussion time. And there he was. He walked right by with two other friends. He said, hey, stick around. They sat down. And you can know right away when you look at people when you're speaking that they're either engaged or they're not. Just yesterday, no, it was Friday, I was sitting down with the kids. We rode our bikes, and we were sitting there. And here's one, his friend was right there. He's the rebellious one. You could tell, because when he was there, he was the one that was not interested, was not there, wasn't hungering and thirsting for anything, but something to fill his stomach. And I saw this kid come, and I see him all the time, and I talk to him every time that I see him come through our property, because I can see in his face a hungering and a thirsting for something different. And when he stepped in and he sat in our circle for youth group, he was hungering and thirsting. He, he knew that what, I'm, what this guy's saying is, is what I need. You maybe walked into this room today thinking, I don't, 
I don't belong anywhere. I don't fit anywhere. Nobody's asking me to a birthday party or to a dance. There's brokenness within, but Jesus says, no, listen, come to me. Be near. Be close. That's all it takes. Just be willing. Just let go and let God take you where you would not go of your own strength and ability. Let's close our eyes. It is so vitally important that we recognize the need that is in the room. The need of the people that walk through this place. The people that walk into this place. God, would your spirit fall. Would your spirit fall on us. Come to me. Jesus, thank you that you call us. That you're so desirous of changing us. I pray for every soul in this room that they recognize who they are in Christ. That we can say, I am near. Not walk out of this place sad because we don't have this hope. It is you, God, that we have the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. The lamb of glory. That you shed your love, God, to change my story. I'm a different person, not because I put any effort into it other than just being willing. And then, God, you start to do some work. For every believer in the room, I want you to think about this. How dry are you? And I want you to acknowledge something right now to say, God, I've been, I've just had this dryness and I need to be filled up. And I want you to put up your hand. I want you to say, this, this is for every person in the room. I want you to put up your hand and say, man, I am so dry. I'm going through a dry spell right now. I need the filling right now. Is that you? Because I want to pray for you. Because you know what? It's me at times. We go through the dry spell where we feel like all we are is a gong, that we're just making a loud clanging noise, but we're not getting anywhere. But the spirit of Jesus comes in and he says, hey, come to me. What person in this room, with every single eye closed, nobody's looking around, what person in this room walked in here and is saying, I don't even know who I am in Christ. I, I really need salvation. I need Jesus. I need this living water that you're talking about. I need this flood of the Niagara Falls to come rushing over me because that spirit is real. He is alive. And he's moving. I want you to put up your hand right now and say, this, that's me. I need this. I'm so desperate for it. We have one lady over here who opens the door for you to raise your hand too. If this is you, you need to put up your hand and say, I, I need this living water. God, would you, would you move? Would you move in power? Do you believe, people of God? Say, thank you, God, that I am near, that I have you, Jesus, my hope my answer, my everything. I want you right now just to tell them, tell them this is where I've been, this is where I, what I've done, but God, thank you for the power of your blood to change me, amen? To change me, amen. God is so good.